So over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series on the qualifications of church leaders. And you'll remember that we've walked through an extensive list of what God set out as uh, requirements, characteristics that should be seen in the life of a leader in the church. And this morning, we have the privilege of ordaining a new pastor to the gospel ministry. It's Jason Upmore. So I'm going to invite Jason and Rachel up more to come up here, as well as the uh, pastors and elders of Wayside that are in this service to come up. And uh, Jason is a, a man who has been involved in ministry all the way back to his days at Texas A&M. He was at Grace Bible Church and was involved in the ministry there, and then uh, became a public school teacher and a football coach. And we brought him onto our team here at Wayside three years ago as the director of our college and singles ministry. And so Jason. And Rachel had been, you know, through their life and labors, demonstrating their, their love for God, the, their love for God's people. And then he completed his degree at Dow Theological Seminary, completed a master's degree. So for the last number of years, he's been working on that and completed that. And then he went through an ordination council with both the uh, ordained pastors of our staff. And then he had a second ordination council with the elders of our church, who are the spiritual leaders overseen. And so I want to read you his certificate of ordination that we're going to give to him today. It says, Certificate of Ordination to the Ministry of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, Jason Gerard Upmore, by life, by life and labors in the gospel of our Lord has been commended to us as being called of God to the gospel ministry. And after careful examination, being found to be sound in doctrine and consistent in the practice and use of the Holy Scripture, was duly set apart by prayer and the laying on of hands by the elders of Wayside Chapel, San Antonio, Texas, is therefore authorized to perform the duties of the ministry and is recommended to the fellowship of all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. This ordination is conferred in San Antonio, Texas on the 18th day of August, 2019. And so this morning we have the privilege of doing that. I'm going to take your Bible and sermon notes. He's going to be preaching here in a moment. But what we're going to do now is have uh, Jason and Rachel kneel down, and we're going to invite the leaders of our church to come and lay hands on them while we pray for them. Will you join me, please, as we commit this family to the Lord? Lord, we thank you for Jason and Rachel. We thank you for their family, for their beautiful little girls, for uh, Audrey and Avery. We thank you, Father, for these two feeling your call to come into ministry in a full-time vocational capacity and then responding to that. And Father, as we pray this morning for them, they have already demonstrated through their life and labors and are already doing the ministry. But this morning, we formally uh, are setting them apart, ordaining Jason as a, as a reverend to the gospel ministry. And we thank you, Father, for what that means in terms of a lifetime of service that lays ahead for this family. But we know as well, Father, it means that there will be challenges and struggles. Father, as we think of Rachel and their, their little girls, we know that there is going to be a target on this family, that Satan will seek to destroy the work that they are trying to do for you. And we know that he uh, will be attacking this family. There will be uh, undue burdens that will befall the Upmore household. They will live in a fishbowl of ministry where some will look at them with expectations and, and judgments and things as to what a pastor's family should look like. And I pray that you would protect their girls from this. I pray that you would protect 
Jason's wife from this. I pray that you would help them to uh, keep their eyes fully focused on you. Father, there will be struggles that they will face as they endure um, just the long hours of ministry that come and some of the, the difficulties that they will face as they stand in, in the wreckage of humanity and see the depravity of sin as they counsel with couples, as they deal with broken marriages, as they deal with hurts. Uh, Jason will be called on, as well as Rachel at times, to carry confidences that they will be able to share with no one. There will be burdens and things that, that he will uh, carry, and we ask, Father, that you would give him uh, the ability to wear this mantle and to fully trust in you as he goes through this. There will be times he will be called on to have counsel and wisdom and experiences he may have not yet developed. And we pray in those times, Holy Spirit, that you would give him all that he needs. Would you fill his mind and mouth with your words? Would you help him uh, to be one who stands in the gap for you and your people? So, Father, again, we thank you for Jason. We thank you for his love for you, for the, the diligence and hard work that he has already done for the sacrifices that he and his family have already made to get to this point in his ministry vocation. And we set them apart now, joyfully. Uh, and we thank you for what you're going to do in and through his life, not only this morning as he shares your word with us, but in the decades ahead as he ministers as your man, as uh, one of those set apart for the ministry. So we commit them now to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. some reason, Roger thought it was a good idea to make someone cry and then have them preach. <laughs> so I'm going to try. Uh, I thought I got it out of my system the first service, but I guess not. There's still more in there. Um, but thank you. Uh, this is a, a special day uh, for me and my family. Um, I'm humbled to be here. I, I'm thankful for all of y'all. I'm thankful for my friends, for my families. Um, a lot of them are sitting right here. Some came out of town to support this this guy, um, and I'm just I'm thankful for our elders who have come alongside me and believed in me and loved on me uh, throughout this whole process, and so many of you have. You've just given me much-needed encouragement over the years, and that's why I'm here. Uh, and then I'm incredibly thankful to Roger. I mean, he's a large reason why I, I joined this staff is because I knew what type of guy he was, and it was his, it's his desire to raise up leaders. It's in his DNA. He realizes that Wayside Chapel is not about Roger, it's not about me, it's not about any of us pastors, it's about God. He gets all the glory. And so I'm grateful to serve at a church that realizes that. Um, and then I'm incredibly thankful for my wife. Uh, as of July 11th, we've experienced 10 years of marriage. Um, yeah. Some of you are looking at me and you don't believe that, but it's true. <laughs> um, but the reality is I, I wouldn't be here without her and I'm not going to look at her right now because <laughs> she knows what will happen um, but she's my co-pilot in all of this she's my sermon editor she's my best friend 
And she's my strongest partner in ministry. Ministry is not my calling. It's our calling. We do this together. And she also keeps me human. Um, She does not allow my head to get very big. If it does, she'll pop it. (laughs) And she's quick to remind me that I'm a husband and I'm a father and I'm a child of God way before I'm a pastor. And she understands more than anybody else in this room of how flawed I am. And if it wasn't for her forgiveness and her grace and her love, I don't know where I'd be. Uh, So I'm incredibly thankful to this woman. I love you. And if someone would have asked me in high school, hey, Jace, you ever think you'll be a pastor? (laughs) I'd be like, you're crazy. Like, what are you... No, I never wanted to be a pastor. Like, I don't, that was not on the radar, okay? I, I never grew up thinking, man, I really want to be a pastor. Um, no, that, that actually furthest from the truth. Um, but I'll just say this. God has been so patient with me to get me to this point. It has been a journey. Just like all of you, we all have a story, and we all have experiences that have led us to this point in time. And, and so if you would, I, I'd... I'd love just to share some of my story on how I got to this point. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my mom and dad, they're sitting right over here. They were instrumental in my life. They weren't perfect parents. They didn't do everything right. But by golly, they were good parents. They loved me. They believed in me. They supported me. And I've never doubted that my entire life. And I realized that's a blessing. And they raised me well. Um, I've never not believed in God. I've just, I, I can't remember a time I haven't. I just, I grew up believing in, in the Lord, and that's because of the way they raised me. Um, one of my earliest memories is when I was like four or five years old. They were sitting watching TV on the couch. And as a, as a little boy, for whatever reason, I was just scared to death that I was going to lose them. And so I remember at times, I, w- I would go behind the couch, and I'd crouch down, and I would just pray. Just childlike, honest, humble prayer. I'd say, God, would you protect my parents? Would you protect them? And those are some of the earliest memories that I have. And that's a testament to how they raised me. I believed in prayer. I believed in God. Um, But as many of you know, it doesn't matter how great of a family you come from. There has to come a day where you own your faith and you make it yours. Uh, Because the reality is when judgment day comes and we're standing before our maker, God is not going to judge us according to our parents' faith. He is going to judge us according to our faith. And as a teenager, uh, my faith was not a priority. Um, It just wasn't. It's not something I cared about much. Uh, My priorities centered around athletics, girls, and probably Aggie football. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> some of us are still broken here, okay, but <laughs> I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, got an amen from the Longhorn pastor. <laughs> um, but the, the truth is, I, I didn't really, I didn't like church that much. I went with my parents, um, but I didn't, I didn't really like church kids, okay, for, for various reasons. I'm not going to talk about that right now, um, but I just struggled with it growing up. And then I got to the end of my junior year of high school, and I decided 
that it was time for Jason Upmore to find himself a girlfriend. And so I started going to church. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, that's why you're here. Okay. Um, and God was gracious because I started dating the most beautiful girl that I had ever laid eyes on named Rachel Jameson. And little did I know that this beautiful blue-eyed brunette would later become my wife, the mother of my two kids, and the one who had ultimately changed the trajectory of my entire life. You see, Rachel was heavily involved in her church, and she consistently went to youth group. And so since Rachel went to church, Jason went to church, (laughs) because Jason went wherever Rachel went. Because he couldn't stop thinking about that girl. Uh, And I remember one Wednesday night, we were at youth group together. And we were singing worship songs. And I was doing what I normally do. I was just kind of going through the motions and singing songs. And I remember looking at my girlfriend at the time. And she had her hands like this over her heart. And she had her eyes closed and there's tears in them. As she sang to this God that she intimately knew. And I remember watching her, and it just kind of bothered me as I looked at her. Because I was like, I've always believed in God, but I've never felt any sort of connection to Him. I've never had any, like, immense gratitude towards Him. I've never wanted to worship Him with my life. I've never felt anything like that. And so that night, we got home, and I I called Rachel. And I said, hey, Rachel, like, what what am I missing? Like, what do you have that I don't have? Because I've never felt that with God. And she just wisely said, well, why don't we start praying? And so we did. We started praying that night that God would reveal himself to me. And that became a consistent prayer for me over the next couple of months. And we decided to go on a mission trip to Mexico right before college. And once again, I was sitting with my youth pastor. And I just kind of confessed to him. I said, you know, I've been praying for months that God would reveal himself to me. Like, I want to know him, but I feel like he's not hearing me. I feel like he doesn't listen to me. But it's interesting because in that moment, as I said those words, I realized that for the very first time in my life, there was a stirring in my heart. There was a longing, this this desperate cry to want to know God. And it was in that moment that I felt like the scales came off of my eyes and everything that my mom and dad had taught me growing up came to fruition. And I realized the depth of my sin and the burden that it had caused in my life and how that sin had separated me from God. Yet at the same time, there was an overwhelming realization that God had dealt bountifully with my sin by sending Jesus to graciously die on a cross for my sins, for your sins, for everybody's sins. And he rose from the dead declaring that he was God. He had conquered death. He had conquered sin. He had conquered shame. And he beckons to anybody who will trust in him. Forgiveness of all of their sins, past, present, and future. And if they will trust in him, you will be ushered into God's family. You will be granted a new identity. You will be given a new purpose. And you have been given the promise of eternal life where you will get to enjoy God for all eternity. And when I realized that, 
It changed me. It changed me. It did something to me. A fire erupted in my soul like never before. And I wanted to know this gracious God who would save a wretch like me. And over the years, I've struggled. Just like everybody here, I've struggled on and off with different things. But that fire has never gone out. And that's why I'm standing here today by God's grace as a pastor. (laughs) Um, Thank you. And so with that said, uh, I'm now, I'm, I'm going to preach a sermon. And some of you are like, wait, hold up. Like, weren't you just preaching? No, that was a warm-up. Okay, like, we're going to get going now. So if you would, <laughs> if you would open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 7. And we're going to read through verse 10. Because when Roger makes me preach, I usually have to preach over like 45 verses. So I'm only doing four today. I'm joking. Well, this passage of Scripture has been a passage that's been very dear to me. As I have walked with the Lord, it's a passage that I've turned to time and time again in order to remind me where true strength comes from. And I hope it encourages some of you today. But before we jump in, I'd, I'd love just to take some time and just pray real quick. So if you would, bow with me. Father, we want to invite you right now to reveal yourself to us through your word. Because as your word says, it wasn't just men who wrote the words in this book. It was men who were completely inspired by you. And they recorded exactly what you wanted them to record. And so God, we pray that as we dive in, that your word would come alive to us. And it wouldn't just stay in our heads, but it would sink deep into our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says this. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there is given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Well, to the world, uh, this is a really strange passage. In fact, most of the world, like this passage doesn't make any sense like our world prizes strength like the physical strength of athletes the financial strength of companies the political strength of office holders the military strength of armies like most of us like we're taught our entire lives to accumulate knowledge and develop skills so that one day we can hopefully present ourselves to society as someone who has worth as someone who can make a difference And so when we apply to different schools, 
when we interview for different jobs, our main goal is to let them know that we've got what it takes. We can be counted on. We're strong. We're smart. We're gifted. And we've got the resume to prove it. Yet Paul proclaims counterculturally that true strength is actually found in the midst of our weaknesses. He says it's actually our weaknesses that make us strong. In fact, it's through our weaknesses through which strength is magnified into the world that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, can you imagine going in to an interview for a job and telling them, hey, let me tell you all of the reasons why I should not be considered for this job. Let me tell you all of the reasons why you should not accept me into your program. But then let me explain how all of those inadequacies actually make me a good candidate. No. None of us do that. Like when we walk into an interview, we say, here are my strengths. And now let me explain to you how those strengths qualify me for what I'm applying for. So when Paul starts saying things for like, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's strange. It's not normal. But for the Christian, for the Christ follower, this passage is our identity. It's our battle cry. And it's what makes us different from the rest of the world. Paul starts off in verse 7. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Here's Paul. He's from the prestigious tribe of Benjamin. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a scholar of the Hebrew scriptures. And on top of all of that, if you read earlier in chapter 12, he has seen visions of heaven. He has heard inexplicable words from the heavenly realms that he is not worthy to share about. In other words, Paul was privileged. He had been granted, granted certain opportunities. He'd been given certain experiences that not many people get to experience. Paul had one heck of a resume. Because of these revelations, because of Paul's background, he could have been quite the celebrity. He could have written a book or become some well-known, highly paid speaker. He could have written a book that says, heaven is for real. Some of you got the joke. <laughs> but he didn't. But since Paul was privileged, he was prone to let these experiences make him falsely think that he was somehow better than other people. Why? Because it's natural. It's natural. It's what mankind has always done. One of the fundamental problems of mankind is we take gifts from God and we either worship the gifts or we use those gifts to worship ourselves instead of worshiping the very God who granted us those gifts. We do this with our jobs. We do this with our talents. We do this with our sexuality. We do this with our money. We do this with everything. And we're all prone to this. Let me prove it to you. When you see a group picture that you're in, who is the first person you look at? You, okay? You're the first person you look at. Why? Because you want to make sure you look good. Right? You want to make sure you look good. When you get a new pair of shoes, when you're accepted into a prestigious program, when you get offered a good job, we naturally start to look over our shoulder 
and wonder if anybody has taken notice because there is a bent inside of us to exalt ourselves. Uh, in college, I used to play intramural basketball, um, which basically means nothing, okay? <laughs> but I took it really seriously, okay? So I thought it meant a lot. Um, and I had this one game where I just played terribly, okay? Like my stat line was like zero points, zero rebounds, 10 turnovers, okay? It was bad. Um, and I remember like I came home that night and I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> I could not sleep because of this dumb little basketball game. It got to the point, it was 3 a.m., and I was still tossing and turning, thinking about all the turnovers that I created in the game. And I finally I got up. I was like, this is so dumb. I was like, this is an intramural basketball game that has no meaning on my life whatsoever. And so I got up, and I, I just started asking myself some probing questions. And I was like, man, well, why are you so upset? And I was like, because I played bad. Well, why, does, why is that a big deal? Well, because other people saw me play bad. Why does that matter? Because I want to look good. Because I want to impress people. Because I want to be respected. I want others to exalt me. And it was through a dumb little intramural game that God revealed to me how deep pride reigns in these veins. And at the end of that pro- those probing questions... I got on my knees and I confessed to the Lord my sin and I begged and I pleaded with him to give me sanctifying grace. And the reality is, Paul is no different. Even as a minister, Paul would be tempted to use his platform. He would be tempted to, to use the church. He'd be tempted to use his preaching skills, whatever, to elevate himself over others. And we are tempted to do the very same thing. But here's the deal. God was not going to allow Paul to fall into this trap. So he graciously granted Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep Paul from being absorbed in his self-worth. Now, as Paul mentions this thorn, it's ambiguous. We don't know exactly what this thorn is. If you read through some commentaries, you're going to... read about a bunch of different views. Some commentators believe that this was some sort of physical ailment, maybe some chronic condition or a type of disability Paul had. Many of the early church fathers believe that the thorn was some type of spiritual temptation, perhaps a tendency towards pride or an inclination towards moral sin. Others believe that it was possibly a person in Paul's life a person who is causing him harm or maybe some type of opposition or persecution. Maybe it was a past memory that Paul couldn't shake. He just couldn't get it behind him. The reality is we don't know. We're just not sure what this thorn is. And I personally think Paul left this thorn ambiguous because the truth is we all have thorns. Every single one of us. The question is not, do you have a thorn? The question is, what is your thorn? What is it? Maybe it's a difficult person. Maybe it's a disability. Maybe it's a tendency towards some addictive behavior, a past memory, fill in the blank. What's your thorn? In regards to Paul, we don't know. But whatever this thorn is, it hurt Paul. 
This thorn is not some splinter that he can ignore. In the Greek, the word thorn means something pointed or a stake. Perhaps a shaft of wood sharpened at one end to be used in battle to impale someone. This thorn was significant. It was a big deal. And similar to Job, God permitted Satan to use this thorn to frustrate or torment Paul. This word torment means to strike with a fist. Whatever this thorn was, it was painful to Paul. It hurt him. It grieved him. And he begs the Lord three times that the Lord might remove this thorn. I mean, you can imagine Paul coming before the Lord. And the first time he says, Lord, will you please remove this thorn from me? Then the second time, Lord, please remove this thorn from me. And then a third time, Lord, I'm begging you, remove this thorn from me. Paul's desperate. Paul's broken. He's depressed. He's in deep pain. But one thing I want you to notice is that in the time of Paul's greatest need, in the time of his deepest pain, in his hardest trial, Paul didn't go to Timothy. Paul didn't go to Titus. Paul went to God. And he prayed in faith. And he prayed with persistence. And he prayed specifically, Lord, I want this to stop. And it was a good prayer. Paul models to us something very important here. True strength begins by unveiling your weaknesses. True strength comes from unveiling your weaknesses. Paul does not hide the fact that he is deeply struggling. He does not keep his struggle hidden. He does not act like everything is okay. He doesn't put on a face and just pretend. He's honest about his struggle. And he's real about the fact that he is not okay. That's supposed to be one of the fundamental pillars of Christianity. But as many of you know, we'll walk into churches all the time. And Christians put on a face and we act like we're good. And we talk about our strengths and we talk about all the blessings. But Paul shows us that if we're ever going to experience God's strength, we've got to be willing to own our mess. We've got to be willing to own our hurts. We've got things that need to be fixed and we don't have what it takes to fix them in and of ourselves. But what you see in scripture is that there's a tremendous battle going on in the spiritual realms. And one of the primary tactics Satan will use in order to get you down, is he will tempt you to cover yourself up. He will tempt you to pretend. He will tempt you to hide. And it's what mankind has always done. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you see when the first humans sinned, what they naturally do? They hid. They ran from God. No one had to teach us how to hide. No one had to teach us how to bury our secret sins. No one had to teach us how to Hide our imperfections. We do this instinctively. It's in our DNA. It's in our blood. And we hide because of fear. Fear that if we somehow revealed who we truly were, we wouldn't be accepted. And so we tremble at the thought of being exposed. Yet at the same time, I would argue that there is a deep longing in our souls to be authentic. I think more than anything else, many of us here... We desire to be known and accepted for who we really are. And Paul says, if we're ever, ever going to experience the strength of God in our lives, if we're ever going to experience true freedom and true peace, 
it starts with first recognizing and confessing our weaknesses before the Lord. Uh, my dad, he loves telling a story about my, my brother Jonathan when he was born. He's, he's sitting front row. He's going to be my speed bump for a few minutes. Um, but anyways, my mom and dad, they, they went to the hospital. My mom was set to be induced for my brother Jonathan. And uh, they got there. Pretty much the doctor was like, hey, it's not time. <laughs> Jonathan's not ready yet. So go back home. There's nothing else to do here. And so they went back home. Uh, my dad does what he normally does. He went and started watching a, a ball game um, downstairs. And then my mom went up the stairs. And all of a sudden, my dad's watching something. And here's this scream from the top of the stairs. And so my dad goes to the staircase. And he sees my mom at the top of the stairs like this. Because baby's coming. Okay? And so my dad, he's a compassionate guy. And so he starts yelling at her to get down the stairs. Okay? Get down the stairs. Like, what are you doing staying there? And so my mom, she inches her way down the stairs, gets to the bottom. My dad grabs her by the arm, yanks her out the door, throws her in the minivan. And they start booking it down the highway as fast as that thing could go. Solid 55 miles per hour. (laughs) And they're going. They're driving. They get to the hospital. They get inside. They get to the front desk. And they say, hey, we need you to fill out some paperwork. We need you to you know, put your insurance information down. And my dad says, no, 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 when baby's here, okay, when they show up, you don't worry about paperwork, okay? So give me a wheelchair. Got one, put my mom in it. Rushed her off to see the doctor. A few minutes later, baby Jonathan is born. (laughs) Some of you listen to that story and you're like, yo, um, your dad sounds like a punk. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. Um, Screaming at your mom. Come on. Like, go, go escort her dad. Okay, like, love her. Be gentle with her. Uh, but if my dad was standing right here, <laughs> he would explain to you why he acted in that manner. And he would tell you this. He realized in that moment that there was a problem that he could not fix on his own. He didn't have the means. He didn't have the power. He didn't have the ability. He didn't have the want to. to meet my mother's needs in that moment. He was helpless. Yet while my dad recognized that he could not fix this problem, don't miss this, he had faith that there was someone who was greater than him who could abundantly provide in all of the ways that my dad lacked. And with that in mind, he raced towards the physician with reckless abandon. We don't know As we look at this passage, we don't know if the Lord ever removed the thorn that was in Paul's life. But the Lord promises Paul that his grace is sufficient for him. And his power is perfected in weakness. He tells Paul that there is grace that will abundantly provide all of the strength necessary to overcome whatever the trial that may be in your life. Paul didn't need to be strong. God would be strong for him. This word grace, we talk about it all the time. It's the Greek word charis, which means unmerited favor or receiving a gift that you don't necessarily deserve, which is a good definition. But grace is so much more than just unmerited favor. Grace is power. 
Grace is always attached to power. Notice in the text, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. They go hand in hand. Where there is grace, there is always power. The Lord is telling Paul, as you come to me in your weakness, as you acknowledge your limitations, as you humble yourself in vulnerability, I will give you grace to empower you in order to get you to endure any trial that may be on your path. This word sufficient is the Greek word archeo, which literally can be translated as unfailing strength. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. God's grace is unfailing. It will accomplish the desired outcome for your life. For those of you that trust in Christ, God's grace will never leave you. God's grace will never fail you. God's Grace will never leave you hanging. It's never going to fall short. God's grace will always accomplish the work that God has in store for you. Because our God loves to give his children. He loves to. For those of you that trust in Christ, he loves to bestow grace. And he loves to grant it lavishly. That's just who he is. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're a good person. Not because you're a pastor. But because our God is a gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's just who he is. And he will give you grace to repent. He will give you grace to endure. He will give you grace to persevere. And he will give you grace upon grace upon grace. And for those of us that trust trust in Christ, he will do so for all eternity. All eternity. So as you go through trials, as you experience whatever the thorn is in your life, as you suffer a miscarriage, as you deal with infertility, as you wait through singleness, as you grieve the loss of a loved one, as you endure persecution, as you wait another month for that job, as you battle through an unhealthy marriage, as you endure cancer treatments, as you wrestle through family turmoil, as you pray for that wayward child, as you try to move on from past mistakes, as you deal with financial pressure and debt, as you attempt to lead with courage, as you battle through addictions, or even if you lose your life, God's grace will not fail you. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is perfected in weakness. It's enough for you. You don't have to Be strong. You don't have to act strong. God will be strong for you, church. So be weak. Be weak. Come to God in weakness and understand that he gives us grace upon grace upon grace. No one understands this more than Jesus. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No one was more assaulted. No one was more afflicted. No one was more persecuted than Jesus. And as he bore the sins of mankind on the cross and as he died the death that all of us in this room deserve, it was in his weakest moment 
that God's strength was magnified as he triumphed over sin and death. And his victory paved the way for grace upon grace upon grace to fall upon anyone who would trust in him. For those of you that are in Christ, grace is coming for you. Grace is already here. It's upholding you second by second, hour by hour, now until forevermore. God is accomplishing the work that he has for you. He's providing the strength that you need and he's never going to stop bestowing grace on those who trust in his son. You can't run from God's grace. You can't hide from God's grace. God's grace will chase you down. It's relentless. Years ago, when I felt called into the ministry, uh, to be honest, it scared the tar out of me. <laughs> I was like, I do not want to do this. <laughs> um, I was like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to seek Christ. But I, I really just don't want to be a pastor. Um, honestly, I, I, I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want the weight that came with leadership. I didn't want the judgment that I knew would come for me and for my family. I just wanted to live a simple life. I just wanted to love God and love people, which would have been a good life. But God had called me to this. But the problem was I also knew myself really well. I'm just like all of you. I struggle with sin. I struggle with doubt. I struggle with insecurity. I, I struggle with all of it. I remember just crying out to God one night. I was like, God, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. You chose the wrong guy. <laughs> but here's the deal. God is content. No, God is driven to use unlikely, unqualified, weak, broken people as vessels in order to magnify his abundant strength and matchless grace. And once I realized that, I was like, all right, God, if all I have to do is be weak, then let's go. <laughs> let's go. S scripture is filled with broken, unqualified people who are not worthy of God's favor, yet those are the very ones that God chooses in order to give favor and do remarkable things for God. Why? Because then no one gets the glory but God. Read the Bible. It didn't matter where these people were from, who they used to be or what they had done. Abraham was too old. Joseph was abused. Noah was a drunk. Jonah ran from God. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was too afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Naomi was a widow. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy was too young. Peter denied Christ. Paul persecuted Christians. Yet God's grace was sufficient for every single one of them. And God's grace is sufficient for you. And it's sufficient for me. What's your thorn? What's your thorn? What can God not overcome? What can God not move in and move through in order to magnify his matchless grace and his powerful strength. We don't need to be strong. We don't need to have it all figured out. My encouragement to you today and to myself is just be weak. Come to God with your limitations. Come to God with your anxiety, with your fear, and rest 
on the unfailing grace of God who is more than cap capable to provide for your every need. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you again, tempted to believe the same lies that we always fall victim to, lies that we're not strong enough, lies that we're hypocrites, that we don't have what, what it takes, and we can't do this whole Christian thing. And it hurts because at some level they're true. We can't but you can. And you're a good God. And you give grace to, to those who are willing to humble themselves before you. And I pray right now, God, that as a church, we would be willing to do just that, that we would come before you and acknowledge our limitations once again. But we wouldn't just stay there. We would understand and realize the power of your grace and how you aren't you don't regret saving us. You don't regret calling us to yourself. You had a plan. You had a purpose. And I pray we'd rest in that purpose again this morning. And if there's anyone here, God, that doesn't know you, I just pray that you would open their eyes to their sin. But they would be amazed by the grace that is extended through Jesus Christ. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.